think my my uh, family is listening to the uh, well watching the verses of Key Sweat and uh, Bobby Brown. Dags, and I'm mad I'm missing that right now. What do you mean? Like, that's okay. Pass. Yeah, so you, that's because you wasn't outside for that. Everybody was outside for Keith Sweat in the 90s. Like, not, for, <laughs> not you. Who can love you like me? Nobody. That old nasally Keith Sweat, son. Come on. <laughs> Yo, welcome back to another week of kicking it with the homie. It's your boy CJ here it's with. How you come in two seconds too early? I know you were thinking yes. about it. I know you were, and you still messed up. So, in so two here's the thing. So here's the thing. It's, this is like me when I play NBA 2K. It's just like I shoot a little too early or shoot a little too late. You know, that's why I'm not a good NBA 2K player. It's, yeah. You got to be Steph Curry with the shot. That boy is a shooter on and off the court, and we're going to leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, we're not going to leave it there. I My man has three kids, three years apart each, all born in the same week. Wow. If that is not accuracy. Nah, that's planned. That got to be planned. I was, I was trying to pull my own Steph Curry. I got the first two, two years apart. Birthdays a day apart. Little man came a year later in the next month. So I'm not Steph Curry. I'm more Allen Houston. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm more Allen Houston with it. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm a good shooter. Close to great, but Steph is Steph is the GOAT. <laughs> uh, or or even him. even better, you know, Reggie Miller or Ray Allen. They're a little bit better than Allen Houston. I, I gotta find out when the kids' birthdays are. Oh, but you know, mm-hmm. Allen, he- no, mind you're a Nick fan. No, I don't know Allen, Allen Houston. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. You are more of a Nick fan than I am. So, this is this is a very, very true statement. <laughs> but listen, we're not here to talk about my beloved Knicks today who have been eliminated for a very, very long time. We're here to have, we're going to have a little fun today. Um, I think a little fun and a lot. And, and no, we're going to have a lot of fun today. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this idea of your black card being revoked. Avery, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go ahead and lead in, lead on this because you were the one who came up with this topic. I mean, I didn't come up with it, but it was just a thought ruminating on my mind. But um, so, uh, yeah, black people, we are. We come in many, many shades, many cultures um, across the diaspora, but for some odd reason, we are always seen as the same. Um, oh, it's it's not an odd reason, but we, we'll get into that later. But um, we're constantly seen as one people. So it's just like, if there happens to be a token black person in a group of whites or whatever, they tend to be the person, uh, the go-to of all information, all knowledge of Blackness. Um, Even amongst Black people, like we tend to 
you know, say that, oh, you know, black people only do this or black people only do that. Black people don't do this. Black people don't do that. So I believe it would be a good topic to break down, to talk about, you know, yes, it's been talked about many, many times, but it, it still needs to be talked about, especially, you know, with the climate of today and, you know, how the climate it's, is somewhat, maybe this is me being an optimist, but being somewhat, you know, there's some signs of, of differences and change, but there's much, much, much work uh, that needs to be done. Um, so a good example we could use ourselves, um, me and CJ both grew up in Brooklyn, um, 15 minutes apart from each other by train or by car. Um, and he was outside wild. Come on, so don't 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 paint me like that. He's outside <laughs> wild. You got outside. You just got outside a little later than the rest of us. All right. We ain't talking about that. <laughs> anyway, oh, but me on the other hand, you know, I grew up inside into video games, into anime. Not saying he wasn't into anime, but he was only into one particular anime. Um, but two, two. Thank you very much. What's the second one? Three, three actually. Dragon Ball I, Z. I messed with Dragon Ball Z, uh -huh. Ronin Warriors, and Sailor Moon. Holla at me. I'm an anime expert. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so um, he's into basketball way more than I am. I have no basketball IQ. Okay, I don't have no basketball IQ. My, my basketball IQ is very low. Um, I, can, I concur. <laughs> Uh, what else? Um, he doesn't eat fried foods. I occasionally will dabble in fried foods here and there. So like what I've mentioned so far, uh, anime. Well, today, the Black people, we embrace anime wholeheartedly. Um, but back then, it wasn't um, seen as cool, at least in a generation before ours. Um, what else? Uh, basketball. Apparently, every black boy is to be a basketball player. Um, yeah, he's we're both five ten, even though he's better than me. Like we're not going to the NBA. Significantly better. Just oh, <laughs> uh, and then fried foods. Black people love fried foods, but I guess not because this man sitting in front of me is, yeah, he hasn't eaten fried foods for a significantly long time um yeah so it's, it's just a few of the things to show where two black boys born in brooklyn have totally different lives you know that aren't uh reflective totally of the black culture um which speaks even volumes of like they're like I don't have the numbers, but like there is a good amount of black people in New York City and you can have two black people sitting next to each other. And most likely they're both will probably have their black card revoked at some point. Um, so speaking of which, CJ has a game that we will play, uh, Black Card Revoked. Um, 
Actually, I'll start it off. Um, so we're going to play Black Card Revoked. And uh, the first card that I have is a very easy one. Very easy. You should be able to get this. After you stop and drop, what should you do next? A, roll. B, put your hands out. Put your hands up. C, shut them down, open up shop. Or D, hand over your license and registration. I think context is key. If you are in the midst of a fire situation, <laughs> we were taught to stop, drop, and roll. I know that that is not the answer. Um, You'll be perfect on the game show. <laughs> obviously, the answer is shut them down, open up shop. Yes. Oh, no. That's a rough rider's roll. In the honor of the late yes. DMX. Yes. All right, I got you now. I don't know if you're going to get this. Go ahead. If young Metro don't trust you, what might Future do? A, call the police. B, beat you. C, fight you. D, shoot you. B, shoot you. I I don't know. I don't know. Don't 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 come for me. You Uh, you listen to all the kids' music. Wow. That's not even kids' music. Anyway. Um, what might mama tell you before going into any store? A, don't touch nothing. B, don't ask for nothing. C, don't look at nothing. D, all of the above. Oh, it's definitely all of the above. And you can add, don't (laughs) smell nothing. Don't taste nothing. Don't. (laughs) Uh, Put your hands in your pockets and just walk straight. (laughs) All right. Uh, What's the most liable to get you cussed out at the cookout? A, mess up the potato salad. B, renege during spades. C, don't bring anything. D, walk in and not speak. Jeez. This is this is a hard one. This is a hard one. <laughs> uh, I played spades on Juneteenth. But then, you know, seeing that video with the grandmas concerned about potato salad. Uh, but then the last two are also liable to get you get cussed out the most, most liable. I'm going to go with A, mess up the potato salad. The actual answer is D, walk in and not speak. But given all of these, <laughs> you got the right answer because every one of these are liable to get you cussed out, especially if you were nigging spades and it's a serious game. All right, one, one more, one more. Hit me with one more. All right. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you're going to get this one. Um, what does Beyonce carry in her bag? A, the disrespect. A- <laughs> the disrespect. <laughs> Go ahead. A bat, B, pepper spray, C, a slap for Jay-Z, D, hot sauce. Come on, son. She got that hot sauce in her bag swag. Ah, fine. All right, one more for me, one more for me. One more for you guys. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. <laughs> I got to pick a good one. A good, good one. Let me see. Nah, not that one. Hmm. Nah, not that one. Oh, here we go. What does it mean if your ears keep itching? A, you need to wash. B, somebody is talking about you. C, you need to see a doctor. Or D, you're about to fall in love. This is a... Really? That's a good one. That's so easy. B, somebody's talking about you. Okay, you're right. Fine. Jeez. 
clearly well, we're black. <laughs> gosh, I just didn't know, Avery. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think a game like this does it does uh, cause for some for some good questions, right? Like, what is the standard for blackness? Like, this game is fun and all, but can we can we actually define what blackness is given the diaspora, right? Mm-hmm. Given that context matters, you know, we we did grow up fifteen minutes apart, born three days apart in the same year. Like, I don't think you could get two people who for all intents and purposes have the same specs, but came out differently. One thing you you have to consider is my heritage, my heritage is half Caribbean, half African-American. So mm-hmm. naturally my blackness is going to take a different shape from yours. Mm-hmm. But then I, I lived in Portland for a little while. And one of the things that struck me when I first got there was that a lot of the younger generation looked and sounded like they were from Atlanta. Mm. And I was real confused because Portland and Atlanta are very far apart on the map. Yeah. So as I like got to know people there and I started talking to them, they were telling me that, you know, because Port- Portland at the time, and I think it still might be true, it was the whitest major city in America at 77% white. Mm. The black population was so small there that I'm pretty sure they all knew and you know, honestly still know each other. So when I got there, I would meet black people and they'd be like, Oh, you're not from here. We know this because we all know each other and you're not one of us. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I started asking people about this, I, I heard that, you know, because Portland doesn't have this strong black identity, they latch on to whatever is big in the popular culture. Mm-hmm. So in the nineties, everyone either looked and sounded like they were from LA or they looked and sounded like they were a part of Wu-Tang and from New York, which was really interesting. So when you think about, like we're we're very uh, fortunate to be from Brooklyn. Brooklyn has its own cultural identity. Yeah. You know, even apart from wider New York City. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that plays into who we are. We didn't have to look to mass media to tell us what blackness is or what is expected of us. So I look at these kids in Portland and I spent a little time in Milwaukee and it was the exact same thing. And it's like, when you don't have enough of you around you, you, you almost don't, you, you go through an identity crisis. Yeah. Who is to say that the black kid from Portland or the black kid from Milwaukee who doesn't exude what the quote unquote culture says blackness is that they're not black. Yeah, yeah. and. I think like I, I briefly experienced this while in in Buffalo. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to this day. Like they're stuck in a, <laughs> a time warp. Oh, so like things are like what the time I went, I felt like things are like in the mid nineties. Like people were black people, were dressing like they were in the mid nineties. They still like, dress now. They dress like it's the early two thousands. They're a solid fifteen to twenty years. <laughs> but it's just like it just it just shows like you know with like you said without uh, a solid context. And sorry guys for you know my my beautiful family laughing in the background. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, 
it's, it's just like, it's, it's crazy. And the sounds of Brooklyn. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like, it's just, you know, like, you know, because like, if you don't have that rooted, uh, I guess, foundation, you know, or, or context, as you put it, um, you're, you'll look to whatever you could find to like set that, that, uh, that standard for you. Um, so it, it's very interesting. Yeah. What, uh, what's something that you like or do that gets your black card revoked every time? <laughs> I don't know if it gets my black card revoked every time. I do, I do get, uh, I do get weird looks. Uh, so I, I, I love EDM. So I that's that, oomph, 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 right? <laughs> yes. However, <laughs> they're like very. There's many subgenres in EDM. Um, which so like if I said like, oh, I like house music, I don't think black people would bat an eye. But because like I, you know, say I like EDM almost as a whole, I hate dubstep. Ugh. Oh, jeez. Anyway, um, it's just like even for me to know like what dubstep is and sounds like black people just were like, huh? Like, okay. Like all I know is house, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's like one thing. What about you? Uh, what, what's one thing that you, you would get your uh, car revoked for? Like what is one thing that you do or like that would get you, uh, your car revoked? So this is, it's a hard question to answer, not because I don't have anything, but because I have so many things. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I have been labeled the bougie friend basically since I got to college. So I, I've kind of accepted that about myself, but I would say the one thing that always, every single time without failure gets my black card revoked is my deep, Deep love from Mumford and Sons. Mumford and Sons is popping. I'm, I'm... I know. But when I went to the Mumford and Sons concert a few years ago, where admittedly I was one of two black faces I saw the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and I, of course, you know, I, I did what we all do. I go to a concert and I post on Instagram. Mm -hmm. The amount of black people in my DMs coming at my neck. Wow. Because I love Mumford and Sons. Now, I don't care what you feel and what you think. These men have put out one, two, three, four perfect albums and one very good one. I'm sorry. Mumford don't miss. Yeah. They make great music. My kids know <laughs> I'm for, for Babel. They request they, that Alexa plays Babel on a regular basis. And I feel like I succeeded as a father. And I don't care. I'm going to own that. You can take my black card for it. <laughs> All right. So what is... Uh... What is one thing that you don't like or don't do that gets your black card revoked? Oh, this is a this is a very, very easy one. As you mentioned earlier on the pod, I gave up fried food 20 years ago. It'll be 20 years next year. And every single time I'm talking to black people and the subject of fried chicken comes up and I'm like, yeah, I haven't had it in 20 years. 
they look at me like I got six heads. What is wrong with you? What do you mean? What do you mean you don't eat fried chicken? That's what we do. Now, what I do appreciate is as as we start to catch up and get on this health conscious wave, (laughs) I'm starting to meet more and more black people who don't eat fried chicken and I'm no longer the weirdo on the side. So I'll take that. Uh, What about you? Well, quick, quick thing. I think with with all the health consciousness going on, I think soon that will become the normal where fried foods will be uh, taboo, you know, within the black community. Uh, but to answer the question, huh, I, 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 I regret putting this, but I will say it. <laughs> uh, so I have not seen do the right thing. Um, oh. Uh, amongst uh, a, myriad, a myriad of other black films, are you uh, serious? Huh? What? Are so, you, how mm, how have you not seen mm, one of the greatest movies <laughs> of all time? Uh, so I attempted one time to like begin to watch it. I honestly don't know what happened, but I yeah I stopped watching it. So. Um, Wow. So Do the Right Thing is my favorite movie of all time. I know this. No less than 75 <laughs> times. And I'm, I'm going to pull the curtain back for the audience a little bit here. <laughs> so Avery and I, we, we have this podcast. And one of the things we do, you know, just housekeeping, administrative type work is we kind of have episode topics listed out for probably the next six or seven weeks or so. Uh, half the time we look at those topics and we say, I don't feel like talking about that. And we, we just don't talk about it, but you know, it's just in case. I feel like we need to scrap that and just watch Do the Right Thing <laughs> and get your reaction to it. Because this, this is mind-blowing. Truly uh, mind-blowing. So, so you're saying the next episode needs to be my reaction to Do the Right Thing. Yes. I want you to take copious notes. I want you to pay attention to everything. I want you to look at themes and whose careers were launched from this movie everything okay it is I, spike lee's greatest creation i guess i guess i have something to do for my july 4th weekend oh, oh well that now that just sounds depressing <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> like I, I guess i have something to do now i was just gonna sit inside and cry that just sounds wow awful. no jeez <laughs> I'm not gonna come at your neck today. You, I, you, I, I felt like shots were fired. And nah. <laughs> so Avery and I, we we went went out last night and got drinks. If you follow kicking it with the homie on Instagram, you saw that on our story. And I spent that entire time attacking him. So I vowed to be nicer tonight as we record the pod. So I'm, I'm just gonna step back, and I'm gonna <laughs> let us get back to our topic. I don't understand how you haven't seen do the right thing. You've had literally your entire life. But it's okay. That's it. That's it. I, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Listen, man. These questions about getting your black card revoked, right? It it makes me think of the blackness gatekeepers. You know those people who are quick to yell that we are not a monolith, that -hmm. black people are not all the same, Mm -hmm. but then they're the first ones to want to take your black card when you when you don't fall in line. I think we're seeing 
less of that with the younger generation, which I think is good as especially it, it was I think it was our generation that really started the wave of like black black kids being skaters. You didn't see much of that before that. And now you have, you said it before, a t- like a ton of black kids are into anime now. I was actually, I was at the zoo the other day and I saw this, this woman with her kid and I caught a glance at her arms and she just had a ton of anime tattoos up and down her arms. I recognized some of the symbols and I knew from the style that the characters were anime, but other than that, I had no clue what they were referencing. But to me, that that was just dope because yeah. I think back when we were in high school, right? If you watched the anime, you got made fun of. You you were the kid who couldn't sit at the cool table. Mm, not in my school, but okay. But Avery, you have to understand that your table wasn't the cool table. You, actually, you and actually, all the anime nerds, you guys are being barred from the. Actually, my are we, table. Are we are we discovering something right now? No, are you, are my, you learning something? No, my table was the cool table because we played spades, domino, and along with Yu Gi Oh, and we talked about Jay Z and Nas as well as we talked about the latest episode of Dragon Ball Z. So my table was the cool table. I think your table was cool to you. Wow. My table. Actual cool kids did not look at y'all as the cool table. We had everybody at our table. Okay, Avery. If that's what's going to help you sleep tonight. I know the truth. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, I think that's, that's, that's dope, but. You know, this concept of the blackness gatekeepers is it's one that's always been troubling to me Mm. as someone who I grew up, I grew up in an all black world. Right. Didn't meet my first white person on a peer level until college. And yet on some level, I've always I've always like kind of felt like an outcast. we already did our mental health episode, so there's no need for me to to dig into the issues and reasonings behind that. But I can't help but think of the ways in which we still like we still still deal with this. Uh, what what have been some ways that you've experienced that? Oh, this is this is a little harder for me because <laughs> my world has either been predominantly black or uh, predominantly people of color, um, I felt like I didn't interact with, fully interact with a white person until like after I graduated college, um, when I went to seminary briefly. Um, and honestly, like, I didn't, I didn't, like, I think slowly I began to like realize like, oh, like, I'm one of few black people. I'm I'm one of few minorities, and like oh, like I can't share these jokes the way I would, you know, my black friend who's who's from Texas, you know, or like oh that that joke was insensitive. I don't know how to address it. You know, it was it was a lot of learning for me in that space. Um, and then like when I came back to New York and switched churches and, you know, going to a predominantly white church, like it was still, uh, interesting 
you know, because like I didn't know how to navigate it because like it was like a space that I'd never experienced before. So it was, it was, it, was, it, it I think still is difficult for me because like I'm not in those spaces. Like for some odd reason, I tend not to be in predominantly white spaces other than a church setting. Um, so I don't know if I answered that the question. Um, you surely did not, but I think you went <laughs> into you you did go into an interesting interesting space there. This idea of being one of few black people in a majority white space and the frustrations that come with that, or feeling that that pressure of not not necessarily pressure, but feeling that that attitude of the monolith, right? Like you guys all like this thing, right? You guys all all do this. You're you're all into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we and I think we have, as I, as I've gotten to travel this country and meet black people from everywhere in this country, I realize how, in many ways, unique our experience is. Mm-hmm. Where we went a very long time, relatively speaking, having not interacted with white people. Yeah, and I I meet black people who have been navigating white spaces their entire lives who are so accustomed to the code switch and therefore they have certain childhood traumas that come from being in these majority white spaces that they're trying to work through and wrestle through that we don't necessarily have yeah and that's not to say we haven't been hurt by white people in these majority white spaces because we have but i i'm a firm believer that childhood trauma hits differently yeah it does i think in our big age we can look at what these white people in these spaces who have heard us have done and on some level we can brush it off we can be annoyed by it we can be frustrated we can see how systemic injustice just continues to rear its ugly head Mm -hmm. but we don't carry scars and damage from childhood of being told you're all like this or you're black so you should be that I was listening and I was reading this article about this school district in Texas that is one of many across the country fighting against critical race theory yeah and you know they're trying to keep the libbies out and so one of the a black woman was telling her story about how her daughter in the second grade they were doing a I guess like a civil war era reenactment and they all had to portray different characters. And a white kid said to her daughter, oh, there's no place for you here. You would have been a slave. So that's what you need to dress up as. And like, think about that in the, sec- in the second grade, you're seven, how that imprints on the mind of a child, yeah. how suddenly you, you look and you go, well, what else can I be? Yeah. This is this is all we, all we have. Yeah, it's... it's- and, and it, it sucks because it's just like, you know, as as a child, like, with without help, without guidance, you know, you you won't you won't know how to to navigate those feelings you're you're you're, you're feeling. You you won't know how to uh, process what that that child, you know, said to you, you know, so unless like you're, you're speaking 
to your parents or you're speaking to a teacher or, you know, you're outspoken yourself at a young age, which, you know, there are, you know, which, which not, not negating the fact like there's, there will still be some trauma. Um, it's just like, it's harder, you know, when, when you haven't been able to, to navigate that until you reach 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. Um, so it's, 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 it's trash, <laughs> it's, to say the least. Um, but I guess to, to go back to the, to the question, how have I dealt with, um, what was the question? How have I dealt with? How have you experienced sort of the gatekeepers of blackness in your life? So how, oh. like, what are some situations in which someone has said to you, Oh, you're not black because of X. Yeah. Um, I think when I didn't know how to play spades. I mean, I don't want to be a gatekeeper, but <laughs> you are being a gatekeeper. <laughs> Sign that's spades, just like spades players are the biggest gatekeepers, which like we <laughs> need to like chill out. It's just like but won't teach, but won't teach nobody how to play. <laughs> um, but. Or, or a serious note, um, what else? I think, yeah, I don't, the other day I told um, Lissandra I don't eat potato salad and she was just like, what? Like, uh, what else? Uh, mayonnaise is disgusting, so I, mean, I don't blame you for that. I, I like mayonnaise. I just don't like Ugh. potato salad. It's just, it's just like, why why is that like why do we have cold potatoes like why do potatoes cold <laughs> like, like why is everything cold <laughs> like it's disgusting <laughs> um what's what's one more thing i could think of um i i can't think of another thing um but it's just like just like hearing similar things it's just like I think for me, it's just like, just I'm confident in my blackness. So it's just like, okay, like, yeah, I don't do this, but I'm, I'm still black. Like, I, I, I understand, like, who I am as a black person. So it's just like, yeah, I may not eat potato salad. Yeah, I may not yet know how to play spades. Um, but because of, like, how I grew up, because, you know, I experience what it means in in a sense to be black, like I'm still black, if if that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense. Uh blackness is not doing and liking certain things. It runs significantly deeper than that. And if we allow other people to define our blackness based on what we say or do or or how we conform to whatever set of norms, then really what we're doing is we're we're wearing a mask. We're essentially doing blackface, trying to fit in. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if you answered the question. Like, how have you dealt with? being told like um you're not black because x y and z 
uh, the two most common ones that come up for me are my white wife. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you married a white woman. You know, usually I just tell people shut up or come see me outside. My hands still work. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and actually I don't hear that one. I don't hear that one anymore, really. And I think that's a function of the people I surround myself with and just who is in my life. But it, I, actually you were there. We were in Chicago uh, hanging out with a bunch of people and we were sitting at a table and this woman starts talking. She's like, I hate when black men marry white women and da 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 And you just kind of look at her and go, his wife's white. And then she went went on the apology tour. Like, Listen, I, you have nothing to explain to me and I have nothing to explain to you. Uh, but the, the biggest one I, I, I hear a lot still, I was on the phone with my cousin the other day, right? Haven't talked to her in probably 10 years. And the first thing she says to me is, you sound white. I'm like, first of all, I hate that statement. What does blackness sound like? Second of all, you know who doesn't think I sound white? White people. I've never had a white person hear me speak and mistake me for one of them. Believe me, I probably (laughs) could have gone a lot further in life if I was able to do a white voice, which I cannot, by the way. So that's the one that is probably the most annoying because what it's often based on is basically someone telling me your your articulation and your diction are too good for you to really be black as though we we crawled up out of somewhere and just learned how to speak like i mean if you're not saying you know i was i gotta go to master today or you know shenene and pookie you know uh you know damn my, my ebonics is not as fluent as I thought it was. You got you to gotta be quick on your feet. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I guess I'm not black. <laughs> <laughs> but no, black like... Black card revoked. It's, it's, it's like... I never had that said to me, like that I sound white, but it's just like hearing that like statement is just like, what does whiteness sound like? You know, because you, you have like the Bama boys and... You know the rednecks, they they hooting and hollering, you know, gotten gotten all that their craziness jibber jabber going on. And never mind that, white people from Boston. I'm um, gonna get in the car and I'm gonna go uh, to the bar. I'm gonna go to the park. <laughs> telling me that that's good English? Oh geez, um, I'm glad I didn't experience that. While well, no, I experienced that a little bit, like in passing while in Boston. Um, but yeah, it's just like, what what does black like? blackness sound like you know um like do we gotta do we even even now as i was about to say do we gotta sound ignorant you know (laughs) do we do we misplace our our um subject and verb agreement all the time like like you Mm, know you know this man's a writer my (laughs) subject and verb agreement okay okay oh but yeah so it's just like do we do we need to not have command over the English language um, to be seen as black, you know? Um, like I, I could easily see that in the West Indian, the Caribbean culture. Why do I keep going back to West Indian? The Caribbean culture um, where it's just like, okay, you have people who's, who, who know how to switch 
from Patois to, to Claire English. You know, for those of you who don't know what Patois is, Patois is considered to be broken English. Um, and there's like many dialects across the uh, Caribbean islands. Um, but it's just like, you know, from hearing, like hearing, I think my, my the easiest example is a hearing a Jamaican person speak in Patois. To this day, I don't understand what Jamaican Patois, like, like hard Jamaican Patois. I'm just like, mm -hmm, yeah, go ahead, whatever. Um, you know why? <laughs> what? Because if you were actually from Flatbush and not Brownsville, you would have been more immersed in the culture. But we're we not going to come for your home today. Brownsville is it's good on its own, I guess. <laughs> I mean, for... For for defense sake, Flatbush is mostly populated by Haitians and Trinis. Uh, nah, son. It, it, the Haitians were all in Canarsie. Nah. Man, I went to uh, junior high in Canarsie. Mad Haitians there. Went to high school in Flatbush. Mad Haitians there. So are Haitians just everywhere? Yeah. They're they silently taking over, and we didn't even realize it. I mean, they have the biggest float next to the Trinis in, in the West Indian Parade. This parade. is true. Is that the Haitians or Trinis? That's, that's the, the biggest floats. Uh, when, I, when I think about this idea of the monolith, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a father now. I, I think about the effects of everything on kids. And when you are pushing this one specific narrative on how to be black and, and we're being pressed into this sort of monolith. I can't help but think of, of how it hurts children, right? Because children become what they see. Mm -hmm. I aspire to be what is placed before me as achievable and attainable. And it makes me think of this quote from August Wilson, where he says, we are what we imagine ourselves to be and we can only imagine what we know to be possible. Let's say it one more time. We are what we imagine ourselves to be, and we can only imagine what we know to be possible. Mm. I hear that, and I think about this idea of pressing us into this box, where if we're honest, the majority of associations with it are negative. And we can have a whole other conversation about anti-blackness about uh the ways in which we have been socially conditioned to believe these negative thoughts and ideas about us but I, we could we could do that another day but when we press our kids into these boxes and tell them that this is what you need to be this is what you need to do to be black then how much of their imagination are we killing what dreams are we breaking inside of them i think of uh pk suban right dude that plays for the Nashville Predators. One of the few black dudes in the NHL. His whole life, he has been hearing black kids don't play hockey. But I look at him and I think about the first time I saw the Mighty Ducks and I was like, yo, Ma, I want to play hockey. Fortunately for me, my mother didn't try to dissuade me from that. She just couldn't afford it. So I ended up in the backyard on rollerblades with broomsticks and the caps from seasonings talking about it's knuckle puck time. <laughs> but like, 
my mother, she doesn't know this or realize this, but in that moment, she gave me an ability to dream. Mm-hmm. Because when I went to school talking about, yo, I'm interested in hockey now because of this movie I saw, which is still one of the greatest movies ever. I got laughed at. I had people say, nah, nah, we don't do that. That's that white people stuff. But says who? Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think of, like, even today, like, just how important it is to this day to, to see a representation of yourself on screen. So, like, you know, to in, in this current uh, Olympic season, you have, like, uh, the richest girl, um, who ran track, broke records. You have Simone Biles breaking records, doing things that the freaking <laughs> association is banning her from doing. It's just like, what? Like, if she could do it, let her do it. Um, you you have like uh like so so much representation, like on on my other podcast, Blurred Lines, famous plug. Um I, you know, talk about like how like my hope for the Reed Richards, the Richards family of Fantastic Four, for those of you who don't know, be introduced in the MCU, they're originally white. But like my hope is is that Marvel Studios will take a different spin and show at least, you know, some of the family members, whether it be, you know, um, the brother and sister, Sue and, Sue and Johnny as black and, and as black instead of white to, to you know, just show that, you know, uh, black people are indeed interested in science and great at science and, you know, can can do, you know, big things in, in that realm, you know, that black people are geniuses, you know, and it's okay to study, you know. You want... Marvel to make the first family black. <laughs> so you want all of the nerds to climb out their mama's basement <laughs> and come for you. We'll let you go ahead and handle that. Uh, you know, a big part of, I'll do my own shameless plug now, of what I teach with Labor Forward is teaching that we can do and be so much more. And like, even as you talk about the Olympics and all of the great black achievement there, it appears that we are only loved and celebrated when we are athletes and entertainers. Mm. There's this guy, uh, Dr. Harry Edwards. He is a sociologist out of the Bay Area, I wanna say. Mm. And he's done work with various sports teams and leagues and formed a Olympic protest committee decades ago, just around, you know, diversity and, you know, understanding black, the plight of the black athlete and all those things. He turned down his ability to go to the NFL so that he could do this work because he realized a greater contribution could be made being a sociologist rather than being an athlete. And he has this quote from Time Magazine. I don't have it in front of me, but essentially it's, you know, we we tell our kids that they should try to be the next Jerry Rice or Magic Johnson, but we're, we're telling them to aspire to this thing where 0.004% make it. 
what does that leave them with when they inevitably fail? Yeah. When they don't reach the goal. I want to point more people to guys like Lonnie Johnson. Our childhoods were incredible because we had super soakers and Nerf guns. <laughs> the man who invented that was a black man. Yes. Like I, I want people to see that when my, when my daughters grow up, I want them to look at Fannie Lou Hamer and Shirley Chisholm as political icons that they can aspire to. But if all I'm showing my kids are LeBron and, and, and Beyonce, right? There's only one LeBron and there's only one Beyonce. We're not going to get another one of the two of them for another 20 years. And could my kid be one of those? Could be. But what are the odds? Yeah. And in the event that you put your entire life into this and you don't make it, what do you have left? Yeah. What do you fall back on? I, can, I don't know. I just I always think of that Chris Rock joke where he talks about his neighborhood and he's like, in my neighborhood, it's me, Jay-Z, Mary J. Blige and a dentist. <laughs> and he's like, you know, to be black in my neighborhood, you have to be the greatest rapper of all time one of the greatest R&B singers of all time, one of the greatest comedians of all time. But to be white, you just have to be a dentist. When we, this monolithic view of blackness pushes our kids into one of those arenas, but never tells them, man, you could just go be a dentist and make great money. And you don't necessarily have to live in that neighborhood because for you and your kids, it comes with its own set of problems, but there are options available to you in this world. Yeah. And, and I, sorry to cut you off, but like, as you talk, like, I, I think about um, the legacy Arthur Ashe left as I was a part of his uh, organization before transferring to another job. Um, but was, uh, he, he basically created a tennis program, which eventually was built on at educational components because it's just like to realize like not everybody is going to be a tennis player. So they added, you know, uh, music, they added science, they added arts, they added literacy um, to even just be built upon those things to show that kids, you have an option. Um, is that communicated? Yes and no. Yes, no, depending on what, what, what after school you go to. Um, but I believe the message is there is just that you don't have to just be an athlete. You don't just have to be a creative. You don't just have to be a, a researcher. Like you could be, <laughs> I hate, I don't want to say this cliche thing, but you could be whatever you want to be. <laughs> yes and no. Because um, it's just like, I believe is the job of parents, is the job of educators, is the job of mentors, is the job of, you know, your neighbor, you know, down the block to, you know, to help guide, you know, children and in the way that they should go. You know, I mean, we, we love to quote, it takes a village to raise, to raise a child. But it's just like how much of us actually apply, you know, that that statement to to reality, you know, aside from corporal punishment, you know, how about, you know, if if such and such, if 
Mama Joe ain't able to take care of, you know, Pookie, you know, can can she count on neighbor John, you know, to 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 look out for Pookie and and not do anything crazy for Pookie, but that's another conversation for another day. Um so it 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 takes a village to to raise children, to guide them and and be better than than what previous generations were before. You know, I, I believe like that should always be the goal to, you know, as the Bible says, and I can't believe I'm quoting this, but you know, train up a child in, in the way that they should go, you know. Um and it's just when they're old, they will not depart. Don't forget that last part. It's pivotal. <laughs> yes. I, I didn't remember that part. <laughs> but it's it's just like, you know, to if we if we want to see the culture as we as we love to say, as the millennials, you know, put it, as we want to see the culture progress, if we want to see the culture be of excellence, if we want to see the culture grow and and go beyond where we are now it's going to take all of us together across the entire diaspora africa europe asia north america south america latin america like it's going to take all of us to to put in the work you know um to create this this change and to break down the the narrative of black people being a monolith. I mean, every every culture has, you know, their their stereotypes and, you know, their uh, because of systemic oppression, there there are monoliths within every culture. But for the sake of this conversation, you know, I believe that black people. Oh, wow. Oh, we need to come together to break down this this uh, this concept of of us being a monolith. And I believe the work is being done. It's just like we need to continue that work from here on out. Here's what I'll say to to put a, a bow on this: We are not a monolith, but consensus matters, and that's something I think that is often missed what we deal with often is especially as as we're watching this whole battle over critical race theory unfold uh in the public eye you will have 96 percent of black people saying one thing and you will have people who in an attempt to deny our stories deny our feelings deny what we've been through deny history will point to the 4% that disagree and go look at those. So if you are one of those people who will comb through thousands upon thousands of black voices at present and in antiquity saying the same thing to find the three or four that agree with your point, you are the problem. So no, we are not all the same. No, we do not all hold the same beliefs and same views on every single thing, but consensus matters. And so where you have an overwhelming majority of us saying the same things, please listen. Word. That's kicking it with the homie. It's your boy, CJ. 
here with it's your boy Ave. That, that was all right, I guess. Avery, before we close out, please tell the people what's bringing you joy right now. Not my cat. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, I think I'm still coming down off the high of watching Loki this recent episode. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it is it is like a it's subtle. I think that's what I appreciate about it. Like Wanda vision is, you know, in your face. I mean, it's been a minute. It was all waiting for the pandemic. And it's like, we need something to watch. Uh, you know, Captain America went to soldiers, you know, a little heavy handed, but it needed to be for the for the context that, you know, the, the show is in. But Loki, for some reason, it just taps into my love for shows dealing with time, um, just the concept of time. I'm a big time nerd. Like if I could study time all day, like I would. Um, Here you go, losing half the audience <laughs> again. This guy. And um, and just like the, it, it, I feel like this show is a, is a bit philosophical. Um, so I think that's also touching, you know, another love of mine of philosophy. Um, but yeah, this this show is great. I, that that show is bringing me joy. I I literally could watch. I've I've watched up until season three each episode at least three times, at least twice. So, um, how much time do you have in your days? What you <laughs> don't don't call for me for, with that. Like, like I, I set a time on Wednesday to watch it, and then like if my family hasn't watched it on Friday, I watch it again with them. Which they watched it yesterday, so I won't be watching it again with them. But yeah, so you know. So I'm a, I'm gonna make this public. I've been pushing Avery to read more books. And I will never ever accept the excuse of I don't have time. I never say that. I, that those words never come out my mouth. And I, I don't so have time. What's to read. your reason for not reading books? I don't make the time to read the books. <laughs> <laughs> but you got time to watch Loki three times. You know what? I'm convicted. And <laughs> you know, tomorrow morning, if I haven't read. You know the book that we're supposed to read. Mm-hmm. You could you could come for me. All right. Wait. All you right. still haven't read that read that chapter? You had a whole extra two days. You know what? Anyway, uh, what is bringing you joy, sir? <laughs> What's bringing me joy right now is that Chris Paul has finally made it to the NBA Finals. Yeah, he deserves. The it. Suns beat the Clippers last night to win the series. Chris Paul had an amazing 41 points and eight assists. And anyone who knows me and knows how much I love basketball know that there are two players who I have followed very closely and been big, big, been a big fan of since 2004, 2003, 2005. Go ahead. Go ahead. Chris Paul. Yeah. And Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony. (laughs) That's. Those I'm a I 
people we argue about basketball at nine he's a, straight out. He's a like, Carmelo Anthony apologist. Apologist. Yes, I am. And I'm a Chris Paul apologist. And to see Chris Paul persevere and in his, I think, 16th season, make it to the finals. And it's it's looking like he has a good chance at winning. Because if the Hawks win in the East, they don't have Trey Young. If the Bucks win in the East, they don't have Giannis. The road is clear. And I just I want this man to get his ring to solidify his career as the second best point guard of all time. So that's bringing me joy right now. It's just I I love a, a good feel good story, and this is one of those. Yeah, he he deserves it. Like, I I I love seeing um, I love seeing like NBA players like with great like who play great and finally get their roses. So it's like yeah. like you know CP3, Carmelo Anthony, like that rose, like players like that, like who are great in their own right and still get their roses like that's that's always beautiful to see on the flip side of that you know who didn't get their roses (laughs) me (laughs) my team lost our championship game look i played my heart out i'm wait i made it to the championship nice made it to the championships we lost i had 17 i think five rebounds and like three assists Mm-hmm. In that losing effort, I went four for five from three. I I played my heart out, mm. and we got smoked. But you Damn. know what? There's always next season. There's always next season. And with that, there's always the next episode of Kicking It With The Homie. Coming at you every two weeks. We're here for your Saturday morning cleaning, your Saturday morning lazing around. You know, why you have brunch if you just want to have something in your ears. We are here for you. Follow us at Kicking It With The Homie on IG. You can follow me at CJ underscore Quarterbomb. You can follow him at AFD underscore. For sure. Thank you for tuning in with us. Please don't forget to like, comment, share, subscribe, leave a review. Five stars, five stars, five stars on iTunes, please. And until next time, thanks for kicking it with us. Say this.